Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No BS Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich, and our guest today is marketing visionary Scott Morgan of Bruner. But first, let's cut the bullshit. When screening candidates for a management position, experience plays a major role. Companies also consider years of service when deciding on promotions. And it's human nature to defer to more experienced coworkers when making major decisions. But are there instances when experience can work against us? It seems the answer would be yes if we became complacent in our approach. Professors Kishore Zinkupta and Luke Van Wassenhoff have spent years studying how experience impacts productivity in the workplace. Their research suggests seasoned managers in complex environments like Bruner and Mass Solutions often suffer breakdowns in the learning process, resulting in missed deadlines, budget overruns, and other problems. We don't have those deadlines and budget problems at our companies. I was just saying we're complex. Contrary to age-old beliefs, managers with significant experience don't necessarily produce higher caliber outcomes than relative newcomers. Sangupta and Wasano believe managers can fall prey to what they call the experience trap by failing to revise goals and targets when circumstances change, allowing biases to color the chain of decisions that determine a project's outcome and missing the connection between causes and effects that occur over time. Now, before our KG veteran listeners start crying foul, this doesn't mean experience isn't valuable or that out with the old, in with the new will improve the situation. Instead, be wary of overestimating the importance of experience and use these strategies to stay clear of the experience trap. Number one, challenge assumptions in the standard old way of thinking about things. Don't do something just because We've always done it that way. I hate that phrase, and Scott and I will talk a little bit about that. Seek and listen to feedback from up, down, and even outside the organization, and be willing to act on what you hear and learn. Number three, include managers and professionals with new, fresh perspectives on teams and in decision-making. Be willing to try to change new ideas. Finally, improvement must start at the top. The majority of training is usually geared to mid- and lower-level employees. Focus more development and training on those higher up in the organization. Foster a culture of fresh, creative thinking so you and your organization can avoid falling into the experience trap. The No BS Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash nobs. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Our guest today is Scott Morgan, president of Bruner, a creative integration hub that incorporates analytics, strategy, and ideation. Scott has worked in marketing both as a client and as a consultant advising clients. He's been part of an entrepreneurial culture for most of his career, helping bring new thinking and innovation to his own company, and more importantly, to clients. His contributions have helped grow Bruner from about $11 million in annual billings 20 years ago to its current $200-plus million in annual billings. With an MBA from Katz Graduate School of Business, University of Pittsburgh, and as a Drucker Institute strategic planner, Scott has been a guest lecturer at Carnegie Mellon and other universities. Most recently, he was elected to the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievement. Scott, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Dave. I was just taking some notes on your opening uh, advice there. I thought it was good stuff around innovation. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, that's the cut the BS rant and uh, the experience trap. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think most innovation comes from the outside. So everything you were talking about relative to the experience trap is um, is smart. I think it's right on. I think today, in our business especially, it's a young person's business. It's all about, you know, what's the latest I can bring to the table as a young person related to my experience, <clears throat> excuse me, with technology and social media. Um, and when you talk about no BS, I think young people would embrace that statement. In fact, I think they do it all the time when they're expressing their opinions. So how do you do it being a person? And I'll get into your career path. I mean, but I wanted to ask this since it ties to the rant. You know, I look at Bruner, and I can remember way back when I was uh, on the client side, and I was at UPMC, and even prior to that, I used to think, oh, wow, the killer bees, I just would love the stuff you guys did. So here you are doing this big, creative firm, huge, you know, compared to a mass solutions, huge. Mm -hmm. So you're at the top of this firm, and you just said that it's a young person's game. How do you adapt to that, and how do you adjust because – there's so many different variables that are impacted with that. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think it goes back to your notion of innovation, that you must be a continuous learner. And so so young doesn't have to be age-related. Young has to be an attitude and, and how you feel about life and how you embrace new things. And so what you'll find, I think, in our organization is we look at young as more of a state of mind and an attitude and a willingness to be open-minded and to say, I can learn from anyone at any time, uh, which is how I feel today, <laughs> listening to what you had to say in your opening statements. Well, thanks. So as the show goes, it really is the No BS Show, and we're just out to help our listeners. And I think the guests drive the show because of what I'm about to ask, and it's so cool to hear each guest talk about it. Walk us through your educational background and your career journey. Sure. I, I'll try to do that rather quickly. I, I, you know, I was asked in an earlier interview, this is some years ago, about, um, I think it was about my financial investing, which I kind of chuckled about. I don't know how I got involved in that. But um, I reminded the reporter that my father was not J.P. Morgan. He's J.F. Morgan. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up with a trust fund. I, I kind of am self-made, and I'm proud of that. Um, but I did, um, you know, I Grew up mostly in Pittsburgh, lived in Washington, D.C. at various times in my life when I was a really young guy, and, um, and then uh, high school and formative years were in Pittsburgh. So uh, that's really, I credit Pittsburgh with my work ethic and, of course, my parents with instilling the values and all of that. I ended up playing some football in college undergrad, uh, learned a lot from that, uh, which I know you want to talk about mentors, and I'll probably come back to the, to the coaches in my life. Um, and then, as you said, had gone to CATS later on. Uh, I did start my career in Washington, D.C., so I ping-ponged between that city and Pittsburgh a couple of times. And what was that times. job? I was in financial services marketing, uh, in banking, and worked uh, – we were actually headquartered a couple of blocks from the White House, and that was a very exciting time to be in Washington. I think it's a great town for someone right out of school. It still is today, and I loved it. It was just a tremendous experience. Terrific. I spent an internship in D.C. Just just loved the metro, if nothing else. <laughs> you know, I, the next cleanest public transportation I had ever been on to the metro was the uh, monorail at Disney World. So I was always yeah. very yeah. impressed with the metro <laughs> myself. Uh, next stop, Foggy Bottom. Exactly. I, I did the Orange Line. 
I, I was on the orange line all the time. L'enfant plaza. Mm-hmm. That guy Indeed. seemed like he ate the mic. Uh, you know, I had many experiences on the Metro, which we probably don't have time to tell yeah. those stories, but, you know, getting stuck under the Potomac at, at Foggy Bottom with the train stopping was an interesting experience. Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up, uh, you went to Clarion. No, uh, I actually went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Okay, you went to IUP. Yeah. Clarion was your buddy he went to high school with. We're going to talk about John Calipari. Sure, yes. So we're eventually going to get them. So yes. you're at IUP. Who was the football coach at that time? We had a couple of different coaches, but the guy that came in uh, later on in my career there was uh, George Chomp. And he was yes. John McKay's assistant at Tampa Bay when John McKay left USC to go into the pros. I think he was Tampa Bay's first coach. He I was. Think. He was. And so he had an assistant um, – that came into IUP my junior year, uh, who was a pretty no-nonsense kind of guy. My story there, my favorite story, was uh, there was a guy named Jim Hazlitt, who was a professional NFL coach and also an NFL linebacker. Um, He had gone to IUP well before my time, but he came back to coach the alumni, so uh, the alumni game. And so I was in that game as an undergrad, and I'm playing, and... uh, I got to tell you, the experience was like living the movie uh, The Longest Yard. <laughs> and, uh, and we were the prisoners and they were the guards. And they beat up on us. And Hazlitt had a, uh, he had some water on the sideline, but I recall two half kegs of beer. <laughs> and this is full contact football. So uh, I actually got my career ending injury in that game. And uh, and didn't go back after that. Really? <laughs> yeah. So there were a lot of like former, some former NFL players then. There were some NFL guys that were playing. Uh, Hazlitt was coaching them, uh, but you know a lot of big, strong, uh, physical people, and it, it was. Uh, in the midst of some rules changes where you could use your hands to block for the first yeah. time and some other things. So it made for a much more physical and engaging game. Uh, and I think the, uh, the alcohol probably added to that on the other yes. side sideline. Yes. What so. position did you play, Scott? Uh, I was a actually a tailback and a uh, an offensive end. I think I was too tall. The tallest to be a tailback. tailback ever, six foot four. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. It really so was. we're fellow IUP grads, and I end up having all these IUP grads on the show. But the interesting thing is IUP. I don't like. I, I've said this to a couple times. I think they need to promote their alumni more. There's so many. John Paul, who was number two at UPMC and was the number one at Allegheny Health Network IUP grad yourself. And I'll have a guest on, and they'll say they're from IUP, and I'll go like, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, there are a lot. It, it amazes me in the C-suite, uh, even in Silicon Valley. Uh, there are a lot of folks that are running companies now that had graduated from IUP. I, I agree with you. And it's, it's quite a university now. If you've, I haven't been there in the last few years, yeah. but I know it's really good. Yeah, I teach, and there's the one guy that from IUP he was involved in this little project uh, called it YouTube. Correct. It's an, IU, it's an IUP guy. That's one of them. That's right. <laughs> Scott, as you go through uh, and you end up uh, at Bruner 20 years ago, talk about the value those first jobs had of you being the client and understanding that and you being a leader of a company coming over to lead a marketing advertising firm, how that brought value to you. Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you are on the agency side or the marketing services side as a consultant, 
you sometimes don't realize that the client is thinking about a lot of things beyond just marketing, right? They've got some operational responsibilities, perhaps, or they're dealing with other business leaders who are worried about ROI and, uh, and other things, and not to mention human resources and all of those wonderful things, right? So many times, I think you can make the mistake as a consultant, uh, thinking that the singular focus of that client is just about marketing, and, and really, there, it's not. It's much more holistic than that. So I think you need to have a broader understanding of the business as a consultant, whether you're in an ad agency or a marketing consultancy or a business consultancy, whatever it might be. I think you really need to have a broad view mm-hmm. of the business, of the client's business, and of the client themselves. Uh, what are they all about? What mm-hmm. makes them tick? The No BS Marketing Podcast with Dave Mastovich is brought to you by Mass Solutions. Put our three-step No BS process to work for you. Visit MassSolutions.biz today to take your marketing to another level. It's all about bold solutions, no BS. Here's a question that I want to ask you, and this one goes out to the guys like John Paul and uh, Lou Panza was a CFO of a company I worked with. He ended, ended up becoming a CEO. They always told me that we, our field is crazy. So when you come over to Bruner, your first month on the job, did you think, admit it, did you think the place was whack? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think I, maybe I'm one of the few people that always knew where I would be as far as a career. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked at the bank marketing experience as being a little bit of a sideways path on the journey, but I always embraced creativity and advertising. I actually was accepted into Carnegie Mellon School of Graphic Design. Um, and I, I remember sitting down uh, with their coach at the time, their football coach. I had my film with me because I had to get some sort of a scholarship, or I think they called it a grant at that point yeah. in time, in order to be able to afford Carnegie Mellon, mm-hmm. right? So I get accepted into the School of Graphic Design. Uh, and I was going to get a little bit of money from from Coach Klausing at the time. It was Chuck Klausing. And uh, and I did the math, and I said, you know what? I still got a better deal from IUP, so that's how I ended up at IUP. That's a long way of going about answering your question, which is I always enjoyed creativity. So I didn't see... Uh, it being a crazy place. I saw it being a very inspiring place, and I felt very much at home. And I was probably a bit naive, too. It was only my second job. I had yeah. only been in D.C. working for about four, four years, four and a half years. Yeah. So I actually embraced it. I loved it. And I'm sure it was a bit crazy. Well, I had uh, a number of CEOs that would think I was crazy, but then I did have one very big-name CEO who said to me I was his only marketing guy who didn't uh, only worry about the, the uh, spending money, that I actually reduced costs, and uh, I, was, I was kind of proud of that because I think that's one of the things that happens in our industry is the reputation is just that we're going to solve the problem with creativity for creativity's sake. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, and uh, especially today, uh, there's so much more um, left side of the brain thinking that has to be brought to the table, and that's why we talk about with our company analytics at its core. I, I think that's an expectation. I think technology has brought that a long way. Um, so it's actually easier for us as consultants to make a case for how we've impacted the business if things are set up right on the front end. Based on your question, creativity for creativity's sake, I think more clients than ever really don't care about the creative awards. Uh, I think it's important. It's more important to 
to prove that your creative idea has engaged someone. And the way you prove that is that they've tried the product or they've voted in some way, right? They've been motivated to take some action. That's where the proof of the pudding is as opposed to, hey, we want another con lion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think now more than ever, and I think as it relates to, to my path, which you were asking me about. I was in banking. So, you know, I show up at the door at this creative shop in a suit and tie. And, you know, I probably looked more like a client than I did an agency guy. Um, and I actually think that helped me with clients because back then, this is late 80s, early 90s, I was looking more like a client probably mm -hmm. than an agency person. So that helped from a connecting standpoint. I think for me, that still helps when I talk about I had to manage the budget and I had to manage. I loved your first part of the answer is when you said you're dealing with a client. And I, I try to convey this to our team is that you're dealing with a client who is dealing with way more than what we're there talking to them about. And when Suzanne used to work with me when I was in a chief marketing officer role, that's what I liked about her was she would kind of get that, okay, Dave's a little frazzled right now. He came from a meeting that was total chaos and we're going to show him, a, we're going to show him a new design of something. It's the least of his worries. Let's figure this out and relax first. And, you know, you got to really manage the client because they're doing so much more than just the creative and just the marketing. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, we're all human beings, so we have all these other thoughts and concerns running through our heads, whether it be about family or other personal issues, and you you really have to acknowledge that, and you can't be too kind of vertical and narrow-minded. You know, I mean, some of our best people are very uh, proactive about what they need to get out of the meeting, and they'll state that as a goal before the meeting with the client. Yes. This is what we're here to do today. Great. Okay, but you can't, as you just said, you can't just jump into that. Yes. Uh, you kind of have to wade in sometimes. Yep. And that may take a little bit of time and, and finesse. Exactly. Well, talk about, uh, other than your parents, who are those mentors? You mentioned probably a football coach, but uh, just go through as many as you'd like. Yeah, I, I have uh, a lot of people that I learn from, um, and I'm not sure that they all would um, carry the mantle of mentor, but... When I look at um, early in my career, my first boss uh, was Caroline Wells. Caroline was a former nun. <laughs> so when you talk about learning the fundamentals, uh, work ethic, discipline, respect, um, you know, teamwork and those sorts of things, she was unbelievable at it. And when you talk about no BS... She would say anything to anyone in a respectful way, but whatever was on her mind, it didn't matter if that was the CEO of the company coming into her office. She would state her opinion, and, uh, and she would correct people, too. I, I remember one guy was an EVP, and he would just come breezing into her office. Now, she headed up marketing, okay, so I reported to her. He would just come cruising right in, no matter what it was that she was doing. And I heard her say to him one time, must you be such a barbarian? Don't you know you should knock at least on the doorway before you come into my office? I thought that was great. I thought, That's wow. You know, she's finally calling him on it, and, and she wasn't um, being demeaning. In fact, he probably was. He was probably being disrespectful. So I learned a lot from her. She was a fascinating person. The other thing I learned was about reinvention because she started as a nun. She ends up as, you know, VP of marketing for a, a pretty significant bank in D.C., and she represented Mark Mosley, who was a Hall of Fame kicker for the Washington Redskins. So she... The last straight-on kicker. The, I probably... I think he is, yeah. 
And she also had this great relationship with uh, Willard Scott, who was, I remember, a weatherman. I think he was on the Today Show. Wow. um, Because he started in D.C. So here was this woman, you know, who starts, you know, uh, as a nun and (laughs) finds her way throughout all these other businesses and and, uh, relationships. That is probably the best example of reinvention I've heard. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) And you didn't mess with her. So I think from her to even a Michael Bruner, who hired me, um, I, I see those people as mentors. I have football coaches over time and basketball coaches and baseball coaches that were mentors. Um, you know, you learn, I think you learn a lot of the fundamentals from those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have some teachers that I still stay in touch with, some professors from CATS and, uh, and other places. It makes me uh, take leadership and coaching in my personal life, but also with clients in here at Mass Solutions. It really leads me to take it very serious because I realized the impact those people made on me. And we had Dr. Lisa Walters who happened to go to high school with me. She was a guest on the show talking about uh, big data and her whole background. And we were talking about the people that influence you in 20 years later, 30 years later, they're still influencing you. So that's an, we have an, the three of us, Suzanne, we have an obligation when we're out leading and managing and coaching. Yeah, it's, you know, it's pay it forward, right? And I, I think you do get a little more serious about that once you develop a broader perspective. Once you have a little bit of experience, you start to recognize your impact on people. And I, I think the beauty of how we operate today with technology is you get instant feedback, right? Yes. So if I do something wrong in, or affect someone in some way that's not a good way, I probably hear about it right away. Yes. Uh, if not in person, then via social media, right? Uh, Glassdoor, one of those places. So I really, um, I really enjoy uh, having that instant kind of feedback because I think it helps you course correct too. And I think from a no BS standpoint, you get called on it right away. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to stop BS is yep. to, to correct it almost immediately. I often say I sleep better doing marketing and advertising today than I did back then because there's metrics behind what I'm doing now. And it's and it can to some extent it can be organic and you can you can tweak and change things midstream to correct, you know. So, yeah. I more agree. more instantaneous. I agree with that. I'm not sure about the sleeping better, but I, the uh, <laughs> the course corrections more quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And that's Scott Morgan of Bruner. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich, along with our producer, Suzanne Mayer. Scott, we're now going to go through the BS segment. Uh, give me an example from the past, maybe a company culture, questionable leadership, or poor work ethic, a time when you just had to say, that's BS. Yeah, I think that there are times, as I reflect, that I probably was saying that's BS, but without putting it in that kind of um, perspective, um, I happen to think over time that when I've walked around our organization, even from an early earlier time, if I saw 12 or 14 people in a room in a meeting, I always felt that was too many. I always felt it wasn't productive. And, and I would, what I would say to people is, look, if you're not confident enough in your own skill set that you can't handle the strategic discussion, then, then you know, get out of the room. Um, and, and so that was probably my no BS response. And then, you know, fast forward another 10 or 15 years and here comes the Steve Jobs book. And what did Steve Jobs used to do? If there were more than four people in a meeting, he would say, what are you doing here? If you were the fifth or sixth person, 
what role are you playing before the meeting would even start? And I thought, wow, that's a great way to have a very efficient and effective meeting. And what I had started doing eventually, and this probably goes back 10 years ago, I started saying to folks, think in terms of a basketball team. Not a, not a like football team, not a, you know, <laughs> if we're telling our clients we can be nimble, then let's be nimble. Let's be smarter. Um, and let's be respectful of the folks in the room that we don't need 11 people to back us up. You know, we, we could go with a basketball team and we could call the sixth man or woman if we need that. <laughs> great, great analogy. Like so now let's flip that to talk about a learning experience when maybe you were the BS employee, a tough boss, or your communication could have been better. Looking back, when do you think you might have been guilty of some BS? I think if you look at our business and kind of how I grew up in it, I started in uh, account management and, and strategy. And so I was the conduit to the client. So many times, I was the voice of the client in the room, right? And so when we had um, an initiative, a project that was due, uh, there would be times where I would say to our creative team, hey, we need that by Wednesday. Well, really, we didn't need it until Friday or maybe even Monday. But (laughs) just thinking about, you know, that difference between how maybe a creative mind thinks about a project and getting it done, and maybe there's a bit of procrastination involved, I'm just saying, I would tell them it was due probably two or three days before it was actually due. This goes way, way back. And finally, literally got into an argument with this one copywriter, and she called me on it. She said, you know darn well that that's not due for another two days. It's not due tomorrow. It's not, you know, and I mean, literally, it was, you could hear it all over the organization. And so two things happened. One is I gained a new respect for her. And secondly, I stepped back and I said, okay, if I can't be, transparent and candid and honest with these folks, I'm never going to form a tight team here. Um, and, and so I learned from that. And I stepped back and I said, okay, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to tell them this is the real deadline, folks. But we have to meet that deadline or there's going to be hell to pay because the client isn't going to like it. It's not just me. It'll be the client who is, is voting. And it worked. And it worked. Absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely worked, and, uh, and it, it worked not just from the standpoint of me being able to have more honest conversations, but from the standpoint of, of tighter teamwork and collaboration and trust and all the things that come with that. Hear more of my interview with Scott Morgan on part two of the No BS Marketing Show.